0: Welcome to the Seller Roundtable E-Commerce Coaching and Business Strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott and...
2: Amy Wees.
1: And this is Seller Roundtable number 47. And we are super, super stoked and excited to have Mike Mcallowitz with us. Thank you so much for being with us today, Mike. We really, really appreciate it. And you're going to have to deal with all the, the fanboys and girls uh, today.
0: Isn't that, that's my, uh, that's my rock star moment. I'll take, I'll take my 15 minutes of fame. So thank you. All it's right, a, it's an honor to be here.
1: <laughs> we just got to make sure that nobody pulls out lighters or there's no flashing, you know, none of, that, none, none of that can happen. None of that's going on.
0: So Mike, tell it, us, uh, Oh, go ahead. Well, it's just funny. I just I was just went to the Eagles concert. Um, uh, there my we wife go. and I decided we're every band that's kind of on its way out cause they're dying. We we've decided to go to every, every, every concert. So we saw Pat Benatar, Melissa Etheridge, Farner. We just saw Eagle, the Eagles uh, a couple of days ago. The Garden. And they have an app now. It used to be, you know, you had your lighters. and stuff. Now it's an app that synchronizes everyone's phones to flash the lights at the same time. So the whole stadium is pulsing. It's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, it is very cool. We, uh, yeah, we went to a Coldplay concert a while ago and they had oh, that awesome. too. Yeah, very, very cool. So, Mike, tell us uh, where you're born, where you live now, uh, past jobs, college, school. Just uh, we want to we want to get to know you a little bit better.
0: So, uh, okay. So, my name's Mike. I'm uh, an author guy, uh, and uh, just have a love for entrepreneurship. I've, I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. I grew up in a, t- a town called Boonton, New Jersey. That's where I'm. I'm right now at my office in Boonton. My house is in Boonton. Everything's in Boonton. And so I, I say Boonton just to say it the way. It's, that you would phonetically do, it's B-O-O-N-T-O-N, but it's Boonton, if you're from New Jer- from Boonton, New Jersey, you say it's Boonton, you swallow the letters. So I'm from Boonton, and um, just on a, a mission, I, I call it to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And what that is, is there, and I've experienced, I've lived it, the day I started my first company, I was in computer systems. The world, and I'm sure you all experience this, the day you start your business, the world, the outside world that doesn't know anything about entrepreneurship, Thinks like you're a millionaire instantly. You don't work. You know, Amazon, gee, you must be selling millions of dollars of products and cash is rolling in. You sit at the beach counting it while you you drink your margaritas. And so that's the perception. The reality is here. Uh, we have no money. Uh, the inventory is crushing us. Uh, we, we're leveraged. Leverage is such a soft term. We've we've maxed out our credit cards um, and we're under a panic and stress-induced, you know, near heart attack slash coma constantly in no sleep. This gap is what I call entrepreneurial poverty. And, and I've lived it. I've had this perception and this reality. So I, um, I'm on a mission to fix that, uh, selfishly for myself. I, I've been studying entrepreneurship. I've been experiencing it. I've grown now uh, four uh, multi-million dollar companies. I've, I've sold one at a private equity deal. I've had a, a Fortune 500 exit. I've had massive failures. As an angel investor, I sucked at it. I call, I call myself the angel of death, actually. So bad, collapsed businesses. And uh, and have devoted myself now to studying what works and what doesn't work and giving guidance to entrepreneurs to, to make this successful journey, a successful journey and to close that gap of entrepreneurial poverty because I believe we are the, I'm convinced, I know we are, the providers for the world economy. You, you provide for yourself, your family, the community, all of the vendors that buy that you buy from, you're providing to them. Clients, employees, you're serving clients, you're, you're catering to employees. This is what makes the world tick. And for the world to tick, entrepreneurs need to be successful. So that's what I'm devoted to.
1: Awesome, Mike. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start out by saying that because like I mentioned before, um, yeah, your, your uh, content has, uh, has made a huge difference in all of our businesses who, who are here. So thank you for that. But we have to start out with something very serious. And what that is, is how did you get the nickname Mike Motorbike? Okay.
0: Well, when you, when you grow up with the last name uh no one can spell it and no one can pronounce it. And uh, every t- anytime you walk into class or, or whatever, you know, people are bastardizing. And, you know, Mike Motorbike's the soft uh, nickname I got. Uh, McCallus shits was the popular one. <laughs> and we just had, you know, my, my cow shits was a real good one. And so we just had our re high school reunion recently. And, um, you know, like there must've been 40, 50 people there and people were like, Oh my God, my cow shits is here. I'm like, yeah, my cow shits. But a few people when it came to, uh, their parents being present couldn't call me that because they get in trouble. So then the backup was Mike motorbike cause it rhymed. I've never driven a motorcycle. Uh, I don't wanna drive a motorcycle, but I'm Mike Motorbike. So I bought that domain. Like when they started making domains or whatever, I bought the domain Mike Motorbike. I'm like, that's my nickname. And thank God I did because no one can find mikemichalowicz.com, but everyone can find mikemotorbike.com.
1: That's classic, I love that. So Mike, when, uh, when did you first learn or kind of realize that there was a gap in terms of uh, great systems and education for entrepreneurs?
0: Well, I discovered it myself. You know, and and I I go to a lot of entrepreneurial events. I've always have. I still do. I love them. And I found that there was this. uh, And I was a participant in this braggadociousness about very few things. How big is your business? Was the most common question. And the question was really, you know, how much sales do you have, um, or a softer version of that was how many employees do you have. But everyone was just measuring the how big is it, you know, contest. And uh, what I realized is that. I had bought into this that the size of my revenue mattered more than anything, and so there was no systems. Uh, it was just about sell more, sell more. There was no focus on profitability. But my first two companies, and it's funny, I even shared like, oh, I, I've owned multi-million dollar companies. I hope that means nothing to anybody. You know, running a business that's a multi-million dollar business that is uh, racking up debt and uncontrollably is, is not a good business. And so there should be no value put on the revenue that saying that revenue is vanity, profit, sanity. It was really about the health of an organization. So once I started to the question and stop asking, how big is it? I started asking people how healthy is your business? How healthy is my business? That's when my concentration became around systems for profitability, systems for efficiency, like in clockwork. Um, I have a brand new book I'm releasing uh, just in a few months and I'm, I've researched out, I think it actually is the most important book I've written, researched out a system for figuring out actually what to even work on in the first place in our business. Most of us are arbitrarily going after the next, you know, urgent fire that we've got to put out. So, um, you know, ever, ever since I focused on systems profitability, my businesses have improved tremendously, tremendously. It's a much healthier lifestyle. The stress has faded away. I'm not stress-free, but my stress related to my business is nearly nil. I think- and,
2: uh, Mike, you know, especially our listeners, mostly our Amazon sellers, and I was on a coaching call this morning with a client, and she asked me, she said, Amy, do you, have you ever talked to a seller that is debt-free? And I really had to think about that for a second, because I think it's really tough. I, I think many people, like you said, they, they get into this business thinking they have the big dream of, you know, we all want to be on the beach, sipping my ties, right. you know, watching the sales come in. But, you know, a lot of people, they are really focused on how big is it, the revenue, and they're not really focused on, like, what are they actually putting in their pocket? And many people don't know the numbers. And, yeah, when she asked me that this morning, how many people do you know they're debt-free? I. I really, I'm thinking through all of, you know, the coaching calls that I've had and I'm like, wow, I just, I just don't know the answer to that question. And I think it's, it's really, it, it comes down to creating these systems and understanding where your money is going as a business owner and, and and how to make it profitable. Right?
0: Yes. And I don't think many people understand what sales translates to sales translates directly to organizational stress. What I mean by this is the more you sell, the more product you move, the more responsibility is now back to your company to deliver on those products. You have got to get to Amazon, you got to, you know, you set, ship that pallet or whatever the quantity is and you got to stock more inventory yourself. There's more organizational stress. So as our sales increase, demand on in organization increases, and most small business owners, that means we're, you know, we're the heroes, the superheroes for a business, we're going to have to carry this business even further. So we have to work harder, we got to push ourselves So as the sales increase, organizational stress increases, the owner stress increases. So that's the great irony is many of us think our way out of our problems is selling more. And that's the polar opposite of what we should do. And then we're confused. So I'm not surprised that person asked you, you know, how many people are in debt? Because we think, well, it takes takes money to make money. If I simply take on more debt, if I can stretch out one more credit card further and get some more sales, that will drive profit. And that's the exact opposite of what happens.
2: So true. It's the opposite of the results. And then you find yourself, okay, how am I going to pay off this debt now? And I need to order more inventory. And it just kind of puts you on this terrible cycle of, uh, not, of getting even, in even deeper uh, instead of maybe focusing on the products that are really profitable for you and, and trying to turn that money over and uh, put some of it in, into those profitable accounts.
0: You know, one thing, this just hit me. I I actually have never shared this before because I just remembered the most absurd thing I've ever done in my life, but it felt right in the moment, was I I got an SBA loan for my first business. It was a quarter million dollars. And I was like, okay, I need this money to to market and sell and my little computer business will grow and there'll be tons of profit. Well, I tore through that money. Um, I don't even remember why I spent it on, but I do know this. Sales didn't increase, nothing increased. There was probably $20,000 left. And I remember saying, you know what? Maybe I should put this in the stock market. <laughs> and, I, and I did. I took a loan of money and bought $20,000 of stock gambling. I gambled at the very end. And you know what? Of all the things I did, that was the one that lost the least money. But that's made a point to the absurdity of how we think that that's how my mind was programmed. Like I got to push in more and more money and just thinking magically the stuff would come out. What we don't do is, even though we've heard the term ROI, many business owners don't put an ROI on lever- using debt. Here's what true debt leverage is. If I borrow a dollar and I have absolute surety that in a period of time, say 30 days or 90 days, that that will turn into exact number of $2, then I can leverage debt. Then I borrow money because I have confidence of the transition to the, uh, the $2. But most businesses don't measure that ROI. They simply say, if I buy more, if I get more money, I can buy more stuff. And if I can buy more stuff, they'll sell more. And that's the calculation. So it's totally arbitrary and the business dwindles. If we did a true ROI analysis, we'll find that usually about five, maybe even 10% of the time only would using debt be a successful and appropriate use. Parkinson's
1: law is a bitch, right, Mike?
0: (laughs) Parkinson's. Yeah. So can we talk about that? Yes. So Parkinson's law is my favorite uh, component of profit first or my favorite human behavior. And when I do public speaking, I talk about it now regularly that um, the way we behave, we have to, we have to channel our behaviors. The goal is not to change ourselves. The goal is to channel how we naturally normally are to get the outcome we want, because if we can continue to behave the way we behave and get the outcome we want, well, then it's easy money. If we, have to change ourselves that is extremely difficult so the first solution i seek out in any situation is how do i keep doing what i'm doing but drive the result i want and uh behaviorally there's often many opportunities opportunities parkinson's law is is a big one it's a it's a it's a behavioral principle discovered by this guy parkinson Uh, it has nothing to do with parkinson's disease by the way this guy was his name is Northcote parkinson uh, I think a theorist from the 1950s studying human behavior. And he comes out with this observation that as a resource expands its availability, consumers, people will use more of that resource. His example was mostly around time. So if, if, if you guys give me like an hour to turn out an outline for a book to you, just a basic outline, it'll probably take me an hour and I'll get it to you and it'll be rough and ugly. If you give me a month to get an outline to you, it'll probably take me a month and it'll be rough and ugly. The, the, the result is usually identical, um, but the timing is influenced by how much time is made available. More time, we consume more and actually become less and less efficient. So what Parkinson stated is as a resource expands, we consume more. But as it contracts, as we use, we, as we have less available, it forces us to work within the confines of what we have. It's called forced frugality. And we also become very innovative with that time. We find shortcuts and hacks. Yeah. Well, with money, as more money flows in our business, regardless of the source, I wouldn't say that, actually, particularly if the resource, the resource is someone from the outside, it's not your own money, it's you know, you're borrowing from someone else. It is so easy to spend. More money comes in, and we find all these reasons to justify it. It's at a subconscious level, but we blow it. It's when the money gets constrained that we actually start becoming more thoughtful about our business. What are the right products to be selling? What's actually giving you the most margin? What's turning the strongest? So we start concentrating there, and we become more innovative. We find ways to acquire inventory, uh, more effectively, maybe there's some kind of, uh, you know, arbitrage, or I don't know, you know the strategy really in in, in uh, Amazon, but you probably can find some arbitrage items or something like that to start getting discounted, better pricing for the same goods. But that only happens when we start restraining the amount of money that's available to us.
1: They say, or you say, drive frugality into your business. And that's actually like a new term that I use, what I seem like every day now. And it came from you. And that's so essential. It's drive frugality and innovation into your business to get shit done for like a lot less money more efficiently. Right. It's kind of what you're talking about. I love it. I love it, Mike.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's the key. So
1: Mike, what's, what's one of the biggest roadblocks for entrepreneurs to get to profitability? I know you talk to so many, like what, what are their kind of biggest struggles?
0: Yeah. So, um, the first thing is, is the biggest roadblock exists is the common established perpetuated belief of how profit works. The foundational formula for profitability is our sales minus our expenses result in profit. Uh, it's the foundational formula for gap, which is generally accepted accounting principles. It's taught in every accounting book you'll ever read It's taught in every finance book. It's taught in, in, in every business book, you know, and, and it's actually, it's so established that it's in our common vernacular. We call profit the bottom line, we call it the year end, some, some countries call it the final take. All those things are saying that profit comes last. Now here's the thing, I understand the logic behind that formula. You have to have sales, whatever you spend, you spend whatever left over is profit. I understand the logic, but it doesn't address our behavior and that's the more important component. Is human nature when something comes last it means it's insignificant. Like Andy, I, I could never expect if you love your family, you say, you know what? I love my family so much. That's why I put them last. Or, you know, if, Amy, if you get a health scare, like, you know, I'm going to start putting my health last Finally, You know, you would never say a thing. Health comes first. If it's important to you. family comes first, our loved ones come first. It's what comes first gets addressed now and done and what comes last can be delayed. It's, I call it the manana syndrome, right? We just put it off, put it off. So for most businesses and execution, most Amazon sellers are not profitable on a day-to-day basis. They wait till the end of the year and they hope, they hope the accountant's gonna reveal this income statement and says you have some profit and there's nothing there. Or worse, there's a small dollar amount there and then you ask where it is and the accountant's like, oh, that's an accounting profit. You already blew all the money, You've nothing. Like that's, that's the most devastating. I've had that. But then we say, oh, no profit this year. Oh, may, maybe next year. And we, we truly, literally delay the consideration of profit for 365 days it doesn't happen again. So what we do in profit first is we have to get past that barrier. Profit's not the bottom line, it is not the year end. Profit is the first consideration. Profit is not an event, meaning it's not an eventuality. Profit is a habit, we have to bake into every transaction. Awesome.
1: Mike, do you suggest any tools? I know that, like I said you know before, how I'm you know accounting is probably one of my one of my weaknesses. Do you have any tools that you use um, along with profit first uh, to to keep the the books in order in your own organization?
0: Uh, well, yes, kind of. I mean there's no like app that you can download or something that's that's particularly unique and helpful uh, and and I would actually even suggest avoiding any kind of app or facilitator. I wouldn't use a accounting system for this component. I'm not saying don't use an accounting system. But to facilitate Profit First, the biggest failure point we've seen in businesses, and now we have over 300,000 companies that have successfully implemented Profit First. We have a lot of case studies. And we have case studies around the failures. The failures consistently try to improve upon the system by bringing sophistication to it in a spreadsheet or doing it in an accounting system, which is the worst thing you can do, because Profit First is a behavioral-based system. We must intercept the natural behavior of entrepreneurs. Most entrepreneurs that I work with are small businesses, will look at their bank balance, make determinations on how to operate their business based upon what's there. And uh, I do know enough Amazon sellers that I can tell that they're an Amazon seller because it's so bipolar. Like I ask them, how your, how's your business doing today? And they just got that check-in from Amazon. They're like, it's effing amazing, I'm crushing it. I'm, you know, money's rolling in. Two days later when they purchased inventory and they had to pay all the bills, they're like, yeah, I, I'm killing myself here. This is the worst business ever. It's, it's bipolar experience. Well, the reason that happens in part is because we're logging into our bank account and to see what the balance is and making a determination on the health of our business. Well, since that's our natural behavior, we need to channel it. Don't try to overcome your behavior, channel it. And how we channel with profit first is by setting up multiple accounts. Now when money flows into your business, we pre-allocate money to its intended use. A portion of that income must be used to purchase or procure additional inventory. Part of that needs to pay Ongoing, you know, operating expenses, but most importantly, part of that needs to be reserved for the profitability—the whole reason you started the business in the first place. Part of it to pay your own salary, part of it for your tax liabilities. So we pre-allocated money to its intended use, and now when you log into your bank account and you look at that inventory account of what's available to buy, you realize that that say ten thousand dollars deposit doesn't mean you can buy ten thousand dollars of inventory. You need to buy maybe three thousand or whatever the number plays out to be. But it starts controlling your behavior, so that the hack is not to use these apps it's to to intercept your behavior and we can set up at your bank with multiple accounts
2: and awesome. most of the time when i run through numbers with uh that's what i always start off when i'm helping someone with their business i look at okay how much is this product you know the fundamentals how much is this product costing you how much are you selling it for? But then, how much are you spending on advertising? Like, what's your actual profit after this? And what most people find is they don't even have enough money left over after all of the Amazon stuff that's maybe getting charged to different credit cards. Some people put a credit card on their on their advertising account, or the, you know, and the way oh, Amazon, yeah. yeah, the way Amazon reports it to you is very confusing. You know, so we actually will sit down and like, okay, you sold thirty of these organically. 50 of them, you know, yeah. with advertising and this is how much it costs you. But most people after running the numbers, I would say over 80% of the people that I talked to don't have enough, even profit left over to buy another unit.
0: Yeah, that's classic, you know? And so what happens and it's an abrupt slap to the face is, uh, you, and you discovered it, you know, if you implement profit first and allocate money in advance, you see what's left over. The response may be exactly this. I don't have enough money to even buy one more unit. And then the mistake people make is they say, well, clearly prop first doesn't work for me. And they continue on and they're still losing the money. There's no impact uh, in, in changing our behavior. And then they bottom out because they've maxed out their credit cards. The, the lesson is this. When you can't afford to pay your bills uh, or when you can't pay your bills, your business is telling you you can't afford something. There's a fundamental flaw in the business. We are not, the margins are not set right. There's something on our buy side that's wrong. Um, there's something on the sell side that's wrong. Um, you may have a product that's the wrong product to be in because it's become so commoditized um, that maybe you got to find a way to differentiate the product. Uh, maybe do some kind of custom element to it, but your business is speaking to you and profit first brings that hard consideration to a real-time status as opposed to looking at it post haste. You know, many businesses, you get the Amazon report and it's a month or two later, you're looking at it and see where things are going and the credit card statement comes in and now you're looking back. But profit first, pushes those hard considerations up to the real time in the moment because it's a cash-based system.
1: Perfect. So Mike, I'm curious um, in terms of if nobody's, you know, nobody's picked up one of your books and um, they're thinking about either reading Profit First or Clockwork, which one should they read first and uh, do they work together and which one should they master first?
0: Good question. So uh, I used to blurt out an answer like, you gotta read Profit First, like Clockwork is it? You know, but I found that I was being of disservice because It depends on the problem that our business is experiencing, the challenge. You know, and I still do. I go to friends like, hey, what's the book? What's the new book to read? And everyone shouts out their favorites. But uh, that doesn't necessarily be a, not a service. It may be a great educational opportunity, but now that knowledge sits there static. So I challenge people. I ask people, what's your biggest challenge? Now, this is kind of pluggy. My brand new book is helping people find that challenge. Because I found the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. Some people think they have a sales problem when it's a profit problem. Some people have a profit problem when it's actually an impact called a transformational problem. Other people are building efficiency when shit they need to get back to sales. So how do you know the one thing to work on? And I'll tell you the thing not to do. It's not to do everything. So this is pluggy, but my new book is called Fix This Next. When people don't know what their biggest challenge is, I really encourage them read Fix This Next to pinpoint your challenge, and if and then acquire all the knowledge around that. If you have a profit problem, profit first is a good source, but there's other great books out there too that I think would also complement the research or study you do there. You know, As entrepreneurs, we got to know what the problem is. We got to do the right thing to solve that problem at the right time. So I wrote Fix This Next to pinpoint the right thing to do at the right time. And then I encourage entrepreneurs, our job is to master the fix, to figure it out and bring permanent permanent resolution to it, Um, you know, whatever the challenge is. So so awesome. Fix This Next is kind of the starting
1: point. I'm excited for that. I will I will be grabbing it as soon as it hits the shelves or the audio channel or the uh, interwebs. I'm recording
0: the audio this, this past week and this week. So
1: Awesome. And I'm excited for all the uh, comedy that's going to be uh, intertwined. That's that's. Uh, I, uh,
0: yeah, it's funny. I just did a reread of Pumpkin Plan, uh, an earlier book I wrote. It, we're, we're approaching the 10-year anniversary. So we're doing a uh, re-audio with fresh case studies because we have now hundreds of case studies we've collected that weren't included in the book. So we're, we're inserting those in, but, uh, i to have a good time. I don't read the straight book. I, I start riffing and.
1: Yeah. I love it. Bullshitting uh, on, bullshitting uh,
0: with myself on the book. Yeah.
1: No, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, so this is a huge question. I think a lot of people don't know this and I know that it's going to vary, but you know, just some insight to this, you know, how much profit should a business be reinvesting back into the business?
0: All right. So great question. So when it comes down to profit, should we reinvest? The answer is always zero. Um, but that, that throws people back to like what it takes money to make money. I got to put money back in. You technically, you can't reinvest profit. Profit, The definition of profit is is retained earnings for an organization with the intended sole distribution to the shareholders. So when money is given to shareholders, that's a profit distribution. And if it's retained and and will be given to shareholders, that's profit retention. If profit is used to pay bills, that's called an expense. So technically you can't reinvest in your business, but we use it. Those are soft terms. Reinvest, plow back. We like to say that. and, And I've done enough conferences now. It's funny, this, this one woman came up to me recently and said, uh, I love your profit first concept, but I don't need it. We had a 28% profit last year. Uh, and I'm like, wow, in any kind of field, that's a great profit, congratulations. I said, what, what'd you do with the money? how did you celebrate with it? She's like, oh, oh, we reinvested it. And that's when I'm like, oh, here we go. Shame, shame, shame. I said, you, you reinvested it? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, we took all that money and spent it. I said, okay, I want to be real clear. That is not a fucking profit please understand that is an expense. You blew that money. And, and by telling yourself that you're, you're a profitable business, you're lying to yourself and you're perpetuating more struggle. So you can never reinvest a single dot profitable dollar. When that money's allocated, it comes to the, to you. If you can't pay your bills, that means there's a fundamental flaw in your business. Now you are taking profit. You don't have enough money left to pay bills. We got to cut unnecessary expenses. There's always an opportunity there, but more or as importantly, increase the profit margin? How do we dictate more per transaction? Those are the challenges we need to work on. The simple, quick, almost like shot at you know, booze is to steal from your profit account, but it's no longer profit. So can't reinvest it.
1: That's, that's so awesome. A lot of people don't even, you know, don't even grasp that concept. So thank you. Of course, you. yeah. Listen, awesome. I,
0: I didn't get it, Andy. I, <laughs> I thought, oh, every dollar I kept in the company would come back out and it becomes a shell game. And I yeah. fell for hook, line, sinker, but yeah. I was never taking money home. I was I was running more and more debt until finally I lost my house. I lost everything because I didn't understand profitability, and uh, that was the start for a re-learning of what profitability is. And I don't. I've been doing this for you know 11 years now. I have not missed a single quarter of profit distributions. I've had 45 consecutive profit distributions, um, and I fully intend it to remain that way. Profits Amazing. only for the shareholders.
1: Amazing, congrats on that. So what are some factors to evaluate when somebody's like, hey, I, you know, I hate my day job, I wanna start a new business. Like what should they think about when they, when they hit that, that, you know, that question?
0: Start the new business. We, we need entrepreneurs desperately more than we need uh, people droning as worker bees. If you hate your job, um, listen, we need people to do the work too. There's no question about it. But if you hate your job and you feel called to start a business, I root for you to do it. Only 7% of the world population will ever be business owners. That's just kind of how the makeup is. But don't go in blindly. But don't go in overeducated either. It's an interesting combination. I've seen some people say, you know, I'm just going to start an Amazon business. Let me go, baby. Set up an account tomorrow morning. I'm in business. And they are so clueless, they get swiped. The, The converse is people keep on researching and learning and mastering understanding and a year goes by two years and then we get into the years where regret starts kicking in like i don't have time left and uh, and then we start regretting it. so uh, i think it was colin powell the great military great uh of recent years who said uh, everyone's a plan until the first bullet flies right Th- that's kind of the stage we want to get to you want to go in where you have a, a, an objective and a plan an overall mission but also the flexibility when the first Thing that happens isn't what you expected that you can start adjusting and living dynamically i can't tell you where that sweet spot is um but if anything i put deference into action over learning more so if you think you you've learned enough or there's not much more to learn or you're kind of stagnating i think you're at the point you got to go in and do this business that's absolutely great advice yeah Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.